You are listening to It's Midnight Somewhere with DJs Mistress McCutcheon and The Wasteland. It's midnight somewhere. It's midnight. Hi, this is Mr. McCutcheon coming to you from the 466th lockdown in Ontario. I'm, of course, accompanied by my DJ partner in crime and brother from another mother, the Wasteland. Who is not in Toronto anymore, not Toronto proper. I, I moved. I'm moving. I'm moving to a, a Toby Coke. Ford Nation. Yeah, kill me. <laughs> Anyway, the podcast episode of this evening or day or whenever you're listening to this particular episode, because time doesn't have any meaning anymore, we're talking about overrated and underrated bands. Where would we like to start? Um, let's go with one of your your underrated first, because because I got a I got a special take on one, and I, I want to save that for last. Okay. Yeah, the first band that I'd like to bring up in regards to underrated bands would be Sparks. Now, Sparks is an American band. They're from L.A., two brothers, uh, Ron and Russell Mayle, and they've been making diverse music since 1969. Their debut album was called Half Nelson and came out in 1971, and that was actually the original band name, but then they reissued that album a year later as Sparks. Now, they started as glam and moved into more electronic music and more of a new wave sound as a result of working with Giorgio Moroder, of course, the pioneer of Euro disco and electronic dance music in 1979. Now, while Sparks seems like an unfamiliar name, it's one of those bands that when you put on their music and you start listening to them, you know the music because it has been incredibly seminal, influential music to a lot of different types of people. Uh, this townie big enough for the both of us was covered by Susan the Banshees on their album Through the Looking Glass in 1987. And Never Turn Your Back on Mother Earth was covered by Martin Gore on his first solo EP, Counterfeit, which came out in 1989. They've been name dropped by everyone from Kurt Cobain to Johnny Marr to Faith No More. Sparks has done collaborations with Faith No More, as well as Erasure and Franz Ferdinand. There's such an odd, weird, multi-genre kind of band, but they're actually a lot of fun. Ron, the keyboardist, who's also the lyric writer, has this weird little Hitler mustache, although it's kind of evolved over time into this sort of John Waters pencil mustache. He's always got very sharp and really clever lyrics, if you listen to the music. There's actually a documentary coming out this year by Edgar Wright, who's also the director of Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, and it's called The Sparks Brothers. Uh, the trailer is available on YouTube. We'll link that in the show notes. They're still making music. They're really prolific. Uh, last year, they released a steady drip, drip, drip. And uh, yeah, this is just one of those bands that should be more known than, than they are. And hopefully the documentary will help uh, get them out there so that people have a better understanding of what this weird little band is, because they've been described as the best British band to ever come out of America. And uh, yeah, this documentary should have been in the uh, film festival circuit at Sundance. But because of, of course, the pandemic, the film is being released this year. So what would you like to play from them? Well, let's play something off of their latest album. So here is Left Out in the Cold.
So the band I want to talk about is a band that goes by the name of Fires. They are uh, much more modern than your band, and that is kind of our dichotomy, <laughs> right? I always, generally speaking, I always bring it back because it's important to know your history and know where you've been so that you can see where you're going next. Right. And I and I think between the two of us, you know, sides of a coin and all that, um, I knew you were going with older bands. So I wanted to talk about uh, newer bands. So Fires, who is originally from Nashville, Tennessee, now Santa Fe, New Mexico, is Kenzie Fires. And the notes off of her album Red Goes Gray listed as um, the inspiration being 13 years, the time between a beginning and an ending, the return to familiar ground of first pages being turned. So from what I've gleaned by other interviews on the internet, it sounds like um, Kenzie went through a divorce and I can relate to that. So that sucks. But, you know, making a, a whole album came out of nowhere. But Kenzie was originally with uh, Cryogen Second, and becoming the devourer. So going back to a dance route as opposed to more of a, I believe Cryogen Second is an agrotech band, and I don't know uh, becoming the devourer at all. So sorry about that. I can't really weigh in on what the sound was. But Fires kind of just started making music. And I know she has posted several times that Fires is her project to do what she wants musically. And it doesn't really subscribe to any one genre. It, it doesn't really, how do you say, force itself to be something other than what the, the artist wants to create. And as you know, Laura, and anybody who's probably tuned into a, a, any number of my DJ streams, that's kind of how I DJ. I, I don't really pay attention to strict genre lines. If I can make something work, I'm going to make it work, and I'm going to go for it. And that's one of the things I love about Fires. The music is creative. It's different. It's got pop elements. It definitely draws on its influences, as listed in, again, other Bandcamp notes being um, Imperative Reaction, Aesthetic Perfection, Altered Rune, um, taking pieces from other synthwave producers like Carpenter Brute, Survive, and Vogel. I think that's how I'm saying it. So you get this this EBM industrial synthwave mix, but then there's guitars in there every so often because none of those EBM industrial acts really use guitars. So it's it's very dynamic. It's very different. Will you love it? I don't know. But that's why I think they're underrated because it's not everybody's going to love it on the first listen. I didn't love it on the first listen. I listened to Red Goes Gray about three or four times before it clicked. Um, there was one or two songs that I really liked, and I picked up the album for it because that's who I am as a DJ. I like to support the artists, and I like to buy the albums in full because just because I don't think it's a banger now doesn't mean I won't like to listen to it in my off time. So uh, I don't like picking up single tracks. I know a lot of DJs do that because I follow them on Bandcamp and I know what you're buying. <laughs> <laughs> that's, actually, that's actually a really good point, uh, talking about songs that maybe they're not bangers straight out of the gate and they take some time to grow on you and then you recognize, wow, actually this transitions really well into the set that I'm building. And and as a DJ, you're, you're sharing your point of view and you're telling a story. Yep. So I tend to buy full albums and... Maybe I don't pick up uh, enough uh, diversity in tracks and all that, but at the same time, I feel like I could fully represent an artist. So, you know, I'm it's a little give and take, and I'd rather fully represent the artist that I really like. So the song I would like to put in has kind of a special meaning because uh, twofold. One, Fires has started releasing a lot of cover songs. Uh, all the proceeds are going towards helping Kenzie and their co-parent offset the cost of their child's uh, craniosynos... I can't fucking say this. Their child's surgery. Yeah, it's a surgery. It's, it's goddamn expensive. So they're going to be releasing a bunch of cover songs. And the cover is the song Criminal from Fiona Apple which this is going to lose me goth points I love Fiona Apple 
I think she's super talented as a vocalist, and I'm not afraid to say it because I know gods like to shit on people for liking things that aren't gods, so come at me, yo. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So here's Fires with Mari Katman on, or Katman on uh, vocals doing Criminal, a cover from Fiona Apple. So the next band that I'd really like to bring up in the underrated territory is a band called The Sound. Now, The Sound is a post-punk band that was created in South London in 1979, 
and it was sort of uh, a band made up uh, of another band called The Outsiders, fronted by Adrian Borland. It's funny because when you listen to the Sounds albums, they were never commercially successful, but music critics have held them in such high regard and have made comparisons to the Psychedelic Furs and Echo and the Bunnymen. I mean, the the sound was a, a contemporary of the Compset Angels as well. Sometimes they get comparisons to Joy Division. They recorded several Peel sessions and appeared on the British TV show Old Grey Whistle Test, which was a British show that focused on albums rather than chart hits that were covered on the BBC One Top of the Pops. And... Yeah, The Sound is one of these bands that really, it's its a real shame that they're not better known. It's funny, I found a clip on YouTube of a, another music fan talking about The Sound, and he was like, oh, you want to, he's like, I don't want to talk about overrated and underrated. I, I, I don't like those words, but if you want to talk about an overrated band versus an underrated band, Joy Division, overrated. Underrated, The Sound. The Sound's debut, The Physical World EP, and their second album, From the Lion's Mouth, were both released on Warner's Corova label, but they were being pressured for their third album to produce something more commercial, and they basically gave the label a big fuck you with their third album, All Fall Down. And they never quite recovered from this setback. They were dropped by the label, and uh, at that time, it was... It was unknown what Adrian Borland's condition was, but it was it became pretty obvious. He had severe depression and was suffering from a schizoaffective disorder. You can really hear it in the lyrics. If you take a listen to something like Fatal Flaw or I Can't Escape Myself, it's pretty clear this is a man exercising his demons. The band went on to released several more albums, but they broke up in 1988. And Borland would go on to a solo career after that. But then the bassist Graham Bailey moved to the U.S. in the early 90s. The drummer Michael Dudley retired from the music industry altogether. And the keyboardist Colvin Max Myers died in 1993 from an AIDS-related illness. So, again... (sighs) I really, I'm a huge fan of that second album from The Lion's Mouth. It is a a true gem, came out in 1981, and it sounds just as fresh and just as as relevant and and brilliant today. Although it's funny because the band themselves would consider their first album to be Propaganda, which was released on April 26 of 1999. So 10 years, more than 10 years after the band broke up is when Propaganda was released. And this was an album of their recordings that they had made in May to July of 1979. Sadly, this was also the same day that Adrian Borland committed suicide at the age of 41. So many in that way. Yeah. that's It's fucking sad. It is really fucking sad. Uh, Adrian Borland really suffered with and struggled with his mental illness, had tried to commit suicide three times before that. And this was his success at at 41. There's a Dutch made documentary on the life of Adrian Borland called Walking in the Opposite Direction that was released in 2016. Uh, My introduction to Ash Code was actually their cover of I Can't Escape Myself. And uh, there's a There's a song by Mark Burgess of the Chameleons called Adrian B on his album with uh, Ives Altana. Uh, The album is called Paradigming, and that song is dedicated to Adrian Borland. There is also a tribute album that was released by Dune Alter that's called Do You Feel That Way Too? And 100% of the profits are going to an organization based in L.A. called Painted Brain, which provides art and community-based solutions to mental health challenges. A couple of real standout covers on that album are from Crew Lies and, of course, our Canadian favorites, the uh, the band Actors. So, yeah, I highly, highly, highly encourage folks listening to this to dive into some of those albums and, and take a look at the sound. And the track I'd really like to play for you now is from The Lion's Mouth, and it's called Skeletons. There's a gaping hole Nothing to fill it up in 
So I'm going to stretch the definition of underrated a little bit. And because there's a band I want to talk about that does not get met with the same regard as many of their contemporaries from when they came about in the 90s. And I'm going to explain what I mean before I name the band a bit. And whenever people look back, you go to the 80s, everybody's like skinny puppy. Um, you always hear about Frontline Assembly. Even people wax poetic about VV Nation back in the day. Oh, oh, oh. And they'll go on and on about all these bands that come out. And I feel like there was one band everybody talked about and then at some point forgot. And they don't get a lot of club play anymore. And I would get that they don't make a whole lot of... Uh, club music in their their um more recent endeavors but still if we're gonna if people are gonna sit around and play stuff only from the 90s and only from the 80s and that's what they're gonna do and they're not ever gonna touch on how job i feel like they're doing everybody a disservice like i don't understand how this band just kind of became forgotten in time when they are so important so seminal and so like uh, I, anybody who knows me knows I'm a huge fan of Daniel Meyer projects. Like uh, I, I follow pretty much all the ones I know about because uh, the guy just doesn't stop. <laughs> he just keeps going and he's like, ah, this doesn't really fit anything. I'm going to make a new project. It's called butt flap, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but Every once in a while, you know, I remember just a couple of years ago, How Job went on tour with Skinny Puppy, and people were like, hey, Skinny Puppy's going on tour with uh, Frontline Assembly and Youth Code. And I was like, and How Job? And they were like, yeah, they're there. And I don't understand how this band gets met with that attitude, because EBM as we know it today, for better or worse, wouldn't exist without How Job. Industrial would have never really progressed into the EBM sphere or became danceable without How Job. Um, and if you're going to sit there and tell me, oh, VV Nation duh, 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 at the end of the 90s, sure, yeah, yeah, okay. But, you know, if it wasn't for Daniel Meyer, they're not going to be here. They're not going to do what they do. So I don't understand how we can just kind of like, it's it's like hacking a tree off at the roots and replanting it. Sure, the tree keeps growing eventually, but the roots, you just left them there to rot. And it's just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like, we have buried this very important act to time and forgotten about them, and they have become underrated through neglect, if you will. Yeah, I mean, How Job formed in 1993. It took a really long time before they came to North America to play. I remember seeing them live in Germany in 1997, totally by fluke, uh, because I... The very first time I went to Europe was because of work, because of a job I had picked up uh, straight out of school. And uh, I was in Frankfurt and I was super determined to go to this concert because I was like, hmm, I wonder while I'm in Germany if I can go see any music. And of course, one of my favorite industrial bands is Einster Neubauten. And I found out they so happened to be playing a festival while I was in Germany. And it was the Zillow Festival. Uh, it was the Zillow Festival at Hildesheim. And so I had to hop on a train by myself, my 22-year-old self, getting on a train, not speaking enough German, but figuring shit out and uh, and going to this festival by myself because I was determined to go and see all these bands and, and the, the lineup was amazing. It was my introduction to European festivals, which are just fucking next level. And the lineup included project pitchfork and silky Bischoff and front two, four, two and Gotes urban, Einster's Illinois Bauten, skunk and Clark and, I remember just walking in during the day because it was 12 hours of music and then people were camping out. And then uh, the next day there was 12 more hours of music. And I remember walking into the festival grounds and How Job was playing. And I was like, holy shit, this is a band that hasn't come to the U.S. yet. So it was it was really it was really something. And I remember that time in the mid 90s, there was such a glut of these bands coming out that were very EBM focused. EBM was 
what was really happening at that time. Uh, you know, because I feel like our scene goes into various cycles where people really want Trad Goth or they really want this or they really want Death Rock or they really want this. And of course, we're talking the mid 90s. This is when the cyber goth thing really was starting up and that fashion and listening to a lot of EBM was really at the forefront. And there were bands like Yellwork, Mentalo and the Fixer, Wumpscut, um, what was the other one? Kalta Farben and Howjob. But Howjob was definitely at the front of those bands. That was a real standout of all of those bands. But that's what was happening at that time. It was getting a, a fair amount of play in the clubs and it was it was new in the mid nineties, but you're, I, I think you're, you make a really good point. How job has been kind of eh, off to the side. Forgotten. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think the difference that made how job stand out from those other acts is something Douglas McCarthy said is that, um, you know, EBM is closer to techno than industrial, but we're happy to have the industrial crowd. And I think, Daniel Meyer, based on all the things that he's done since and with Howjob, uh, gets that and somehow brings it much closer to that techno sound, which sets him apart without breaking the format. And that is probably one of the most special things about them. And then as they, they get older, the music slows down and it's they become almost like oral works of art, you know? Uh, not quite ambient, so I don't think they would fit our Esoterica show, but maybe, maybe with a bit of a stretch. I mean, I, I've played some random stuff in there that probably was a little too for it, but <laughs> anyway, the song I would love to showcase is probably one of the ones that gets more press for various reasons and that is nature's interface off of solutions for a small planet which is great because anybody who was around in the 90s i see you smiling on cam was an ibm marketing tagline Out here, we're gonna be the first humans to see. <laughs> 
So when we originally had the idea for this this podcast, we we just wanted to go into underrated acts. But I feel like to get a sense of where we think underrated lies, you also have to know where we feel like overrated lies. So, Laura, my question to you is, what is an overrated pick of yours? Style, whatever. Go for it. Define, you know, whatever you take overrated to mean. As far as overrated bands go, I could certainly I could certainly pick on the Sisters of Mercy, even though they're a band that I really like. I consider them part of the Holy Trinity of Goth. I they are very much a staple band, but I think the problem is that the Sisters of Mercy then spawned about a zillion different ripoff bands. I remember this back in the nineties. Uh, although one of the better bands of those Sisters of Mercy clones was Rosetta Stone. Uh, there were so many other bands that just sounded like that sound that it was annoyingly frustrating because there was just a lot of it. Uh, although I, I'd be really, really wrong in, in not admitting that Adrenaline by Rosetta Stone is a very good song. But again, there were just a glut of Sisters of Mercy clone bands that had come out in the 90s. What's funny to me is that even here we are at the, you know, between the tail end of the 2010s and uh, and to, uh, 2020, is we still have Sisters of Mercy clone bands, uh, one of them being a band that came up in the past week or so, uh, because of certain confirmations uh, of hate, would be Sansombra. Um, I don't know if they're an over, or if they're an overrated band, or they're just. I think they're just a band that needs to go away because I never thought very highly of them. I thought, oh, this is really boring Sisters of Mercy ripoff music, and I was not a fan of them. Although I know other people who were, I was like, okay, whatevs. But uh, but in learning about Brandon Pybrus's, uh connection to the Sons of the Confederacy, uh, I think he he made an apology that he's not a racist. That was a non-apology because if you're trying to trace your genealogy and and your heritage, there's no need to join a, a known hate group for that. Um, so I think that's a whole load of bullshit, and uh, and that's a band that definitely needs to go away. Although, again, I will also uh, turn my nose up at another Sisters of Mercy sort of ripoff band, and that would be the Angels of Liberty, who I'm just not a fan of. I've heard a couple people get excited about them, and I'm like, really? So, uh, I mean, it's a matter of taste. But as someone who's been listening to goth since they were a younger person, uh, you know, as a teenager about a million years ago, um, I've heard this stuff before and it, it gets it gets really boring when you hear bands that are just so derivative or just such a direct ripoff. So if you're planning on being a Sisters of Mercy ripoff, just please do us a favor and not. Fair. What about you? Who do you consider overrated? So I might I might stretch this a little bit too, because uh, I gave it some thought. And there's a band that made one, two okay albums, and then proceeded to uh, I don't know, not be good for a very long time, and then they went away, and I was like, okay, that's cool. And now they're releasing a new album, and like uh, even people message me and they're like, hey, did you hear that Wumps Guts making another album? And I'm like. <sighs> Fuck. 
why? <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. I that's just how I feel. It's I've um I recognize what Wumpscut did for industrial music in its early days. Um, but at some point, Rudy forgot how to program a good drum machine or changed how he was making his drum sounds. I, I'm not sure. Maybe he was using a live drummer and then had a falling out. I don't fucking know. I wasn't there. I don't care. Everything just becomes derivative of himself at some point. And that is bad. That is bad when you're trying to remake the same album over and over and over. And it's even worse when you call it quits and come back. I mean, it's just, oh, please, just stop. Just please stop. <laughs> just please just stop. Please stop. Don't, don't do please it. Stop. Don't do it. Well, with Wump Scut, I can recognize Wump Scut by one song. It sounds like there's a lot of air sirens in it. It got a lot of play. It got played to death. It's worthy of being on the retirement list for folks who who may not know how I function as a DJ. Um, I, I'm sure other DJs do this too. It's not like I'm I've invented this or whatever. But there's definitely a retirement list of songs that have been overplayed to death, and that one Wumpscut song just fucking got so much play back in the day. And it's we don't we don't need more of this. It's fine. It's been done. Yeah, it's 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 done. It's tired. I I think I think at a certain point, especially as a solo artist, if if you're not experiencing new things or not like even even on your own, especially musically, I I for the record feel like this about other artists that don't pertain to our thing. Um, but if you're working by yourself and you're just doing the same creative process over and over, not adding new things to your life, your music's just gonna sound the same thing over and over and get boring i will comparison rudy to daniel meyer who will work with different people and do different sounds and do different things and has gone all over the place and played you know he's got totally different projects that sound completely different some of them will fit into a prophecy night some of them won't and that's cool um and then you have rudy who's just like i'm gonna i don't know not go on tour not see the world, not do anything different, and just make music in my basement. And I don't know if that's his process, but that's what it feels like to me as a listener. It feels like uh, as somebody who lived in a basement rather recently, somebody living in a basement, not going out very much and just plugging away at a keyboard. Yeah, I mean, there there are plenty of artists um, who, who can be prolific and pump out a lot of stuff, but it does make it all good. And if you're, I don't understand what what sense it is to fucking do the same album over and over again. It was kind of like when I saw Kate Bush um, putting out uh, the quote-unquote director's cut. Uh, she did an album called The Director's Cut where she re-released and revamped some of her older songs. And like she redid The Red Shoes. She redid, like, again, if you go to Discogs and look it up. And I, I saw that and I thought, Wow, that's really sad because I like Kate Bush. I've had a love-hate relationship with Kate Bush because I remember first hearing Kate Bush in 1989 when um, The Sensual World came out. And the song Love and Anger was played to death on 120 minutes and to the point where it was just irritating to me, where I was like, I can't fucking stand Kate Bush. But once I got past that and got into learning more about Kate Bush and, and hearing more of her music, I was like, oh, this is fucking cool. I like Kate Bush. But then as an artist, when you go back and you're redoing your, it's like, what are you saying about yourself as an artist that you have nothing new to say? That you're just rehashing the same stuff? And I think we fall into those traps as a, as a scene. Like there's, again, there's various waves of, what's popular or what's getting played. I feel like recently or semi-recently uh, the goth scene has been embracing a lot of dark techno and we're going through a bit of a techno phase and there, there's stuff that's, that's kind of going over uh, that, that that's, that's kind of revamping some of this stuff or, or putting a new spin on it. Well, yeah, but I would also say at the same time, we're also seeing a revival of really good post-punk. Yes. Like, there's a little bit of both of what we do coming out very regularly 
from new bands, that is totally cool. And that is great. But, you know, and some of those bands might even have, uh, from both sides, I don't fucking know. I'm not, I don't create music. I, I barely can DJ, I think. I don't know. Oh, stop. Um, <laughs> I count to four for a living. Uh, no. Uh, My job uh, is to but, help people know, find one. <laughs> Just yeah, get one exactly. to the one. <laughs> Just go to the one. Um, but, you know, they might be drawing influences from from either uh, the Sister Mercy, one of their ripoff bands, or Wumpscut. And that's fine. You could draw influence from this. I'm just saying I don't understand how we're, you know, it's it's uh, 2021. And I think the first Wumpscut came out like 91, 92 or something like that. And he's still somehow relevant because his albums are as bad as current ministry albums and i don't understand how ministry is still relevant either like their last few albums stunk people just go to see him for the fucking nostalgia and it's like you know why why are you gonna spend that much that kind of money to go see him in a stadium because he's playing with kmfdm let me tell you how i feel about kmfdm because i mean that one <laughs> remember that one the meme with the guy with the stick it's poking the KMFDM logo. Do something interesting because they haven't since Nile. Um. Yeah, well, <laughs> but then again, bands go on these revival tours because they're broke. Uh, and, and yeah, being able to ride that wave of nostalgia becomes a rock star's retirement plan. Like, okay, well, let's go and re- replay the hits and replay the oldies because people are going to pay money for it. I mean, granted, I went and saw Adam Ant in the before times, not, uh, you know, not too uh, far off from from before, you know, life stopped. Uh, And I'm just I'm grateful I've gotten a chance to see Adam Ant. I mean, it was all Prince Charming and uh, and all the, the, the hits from, you know, almost now 40 years ago. But uh, but at the same time, I was like this fucking Adam Ant. I want to see that. To, to rebut, I'm going to say there's something to do with uh, an artist who um, isn't trying to revive an old sound by making new music. Because I don't know if Adam Ant's had a release recently. He's just going on tour and doing what Adam Ant does and doing his hits and doing the best things of Adam Ant. And that's great. I, I, don't, I don't decry that at all. Um, what I'm saying here is I feel like... Um, Wumpscut ran out of things to say in two or three albums, and then the music got less good. I, I, you know, I remember buying Wreath of Barbs and being disappointed, and I don't understand how that song still gets played. So, what the fuck do I know? Um, <laughs> but you see what I'm getting at. It's, it's yeah. you know, I I saw Madness. Uh, in the 90s, and they hadn't been re- relevant since fucking mid-80s, but they were still a great live show, and they just got up there and did old Madness stuff. They didn't release an album. They didn't need to. It was Madness. People yeah, went to see Madness. That's fair. That's fair. You want to see a band, you're going to, you know, regardless if they've released something new or not. Um, but yeah, as an artist, if you run out of things to say, then it's yeah. it's kind of, it's sad. Because then it's like, and, well, and I think, why am I buying this album? And and it's not only that. Well, it's it's not only that. It's it's. I feel like the derivative parts of what Wumpscut did is largely to blame for Agrotech. Ah. Uh. That's another complete episode where we're going to probably shit on Agrotech or maybe overrated styles. So anyway, if if you want to listen to us or tell us what bands we should shit on for Agrotech, you can hit us up on our email at it's midnight somewhere podcast at gmail.com. You can send us Facebook messages and be like, dude, I like Agrotech. And I could ask you what's wrong with you at it's midnight somewhere podcast at, on Facebook. You can hit us up on when we DJ on prophecy underscore online, where we're going to be on there every Friday night at 10 p.m. Uh, if it's the first Friday of the month, Bandcamp Friday, we're going to go to 2 a.m. And you're going to get both of us. If it's not, we're going to go to sometime after midnight. And you're going to have one of us, depending on what week it is. Uh, those times are all Eastern Standard. And we've got buttons. We've got stickers. We've got your mom in a trunk. Um... I think that about wraps it up. Do you have anything else, Laura? I think I am now deceased. Thank you for listening. It's midnight, summer, 
This podcast was almost called Oral Ass Butter.